Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder joins us. That may be what stands out most of all to me is losing to both of those quarterbacks, the way both played, and then losing in a final drive with P.J. Walker. Incredibly bummed. I don't care if we were pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways yesterday, maybe even disappointed in others as well, or you didn't think they were going to be that close, or you thought it was going to be a different defensive style of game. Unfortunately, losing to P.J. Walker on that final drive is something that is going to be right here for a long time with me. It's brutal. Yeah, I agree. Uh, look, I mean, the the conversation has, has definitely centered on on the 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 penalties, right? I and I get it. I I don't I understand the disagreement. I get all that. I I do think the overarching point is fair, though. I mean, you can't let that happen. And and frankly, the the long completion, which I think was uh, I don't know, I feel like it was a thirty yard completion earlier in that drive, I mean, that, that also can't happen. And that is not a matter of, you know, officiating. That's just, you know, that's just man against man, get beat there. Uh, and and there was an attempt to make a play on that ball, but it just, it was not successful. And that was probably the biggest play of that drive. I mean, obviously the the penalties were, were crucial and pivotal and, and maybe the results different without them, but uh, there were things that preceded that, that, that enabled the Browns to be in that position to begin with. Uh, it was a weird game, though, overall, I would say, because, you know, I, I went in the locker room and I walked around and I'm like, you know, running into different players along the way. And and I told them, I told many of them, I said, man, you know, it's like I'm coming over to ask a guy like, hey, how'd this happen? And then I think about it, like I take uh, Julian Blackman. I walked over to him. I was like, man, this guy had a great game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like then Kenny Moore's next to him. Like, Kenny Moore had a great game. And I look around and it's like, you know, most of these guys made plays today. I, I've just felt that looking around the locker room. And it was kind of one of those games where there weren't like culprits all over the place. I mean, they all did something to contribute to that. But the other team just made a couple more plays in the end. I don't know. It's a, it was a tough one. Tough one to swallow. And a tough one to explain in some respects. No, yeah, and you're right too. I mean, if you're going to look in, if you're looking to place some blame or to be critical, I mean, there are various aspects, and one of which was sitting at home watching in Grover Stewart, because they they took advantage oftentimes of that missing piece on that defense. And I think we saw it real early, right out of the gate. You know, yep, the first drive, yep. run. No, we don't see that against the Colts. You know, that does not happen. And and we knew coming in. For for all the talk about Deshaun Watson coming back into the lineup from his injury, and obviously that was short-lived, but for all the talk about Deshaun Watson, that's still a team that wants to run the football. You know, that's that's what they want to be their bread and butter, and it has been even with uh, Chubb out of the lineup after that season-ending injury. So I, I do think not being able to, 
to, to get some stops on the, in the running game when you really needed it, I did, that did hurt them. There's no doubt about that. And particularly at the, at the very end there, would have been real nice to have Grover Stewart on that fourth and one at the goal line, wouldn't it? Yeah, I thought they did a hell of a job anyway um, there, they they, considering they, they shouldn't have been that close in the first place. I, I, I do want to get to the officiating. Sure. Um, I, to me, I know a lot of people disagreed on the last one, and to me, it wasn't a, a pass interference. It was a hold. Uh, it was an egregious hold by Daryl Baker Jr., I, I thought the first one, I thought the illegal contact was the BS, and, and that was the game coster in that moment. I, I Complete BS. And here, Stephen, is, I think, something that would back me up in this era in which we watch the NFL, and 98% of these wide receivers call for a flag on every play. Yeah. You look at Amari Cooper, he had zero reaction. He thought they lost the game. He didn't think there was a, a penalty flag to be thrown there. And really, he initiated it. Daryl Baker Jr., which he shouldn't have, I guess, now in hindsight, came back. But that's the play, ultimately, in that moment, that cost him the game. That was, to me, an awful call. I would say this. I, I understand where a flag might be thrown in both of those situations. When, when I say I understand, I'm not justifying it. What I'm saying is I don't think there, there was zero basis for, for either flag. I, I, I think in, at, real, at real speed, in real time, I can understand why a flag was thrown. Now, that does not mean I would throw that flag. It does not mean that you should throw a flag in that situation. You know what I'm saying? That's different than saying it, it was a good call. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I get it on some level why a flag was thrown. I mean, when you slow down the illegal contact, I, I see it the way you see it, right, when you slow it down. However, I think at full speed, that motion that Baker uh, utilizes, it, where it, do, it looks like he's grabbing him around the hips. Now, did he impede him? Now, that's a fair question. I don't know that he did, but I don't know that you get that same benefit when you're looking at it at full speed in real time. It's really hard. But I, I think that the big issue there is, or I guess the bigger surprise is that in that situation that you throw those flags. Cause I think that is, that that's typically where we see officials not want to decide the game. And in this respect, they did throw the flag, whether the, whether it was, whether you see it as borderline or not, you know, you know what the impact of that flag is in that situation. So I, I think that's one of those situations where I, I often think you see them swallow the whistle and they did not in that case. So that's a little surprising. I think it, the one in the end zone, I, you know, look, if we want to talk about the ball being catchable or not catchable, there's a couple of things to, to, to talk about there. Number one, I mean, I went and I looked at the rule book today. And part of the problem, and I don't know how you would even change this, but part of the problem is the ball being catchable or not catchable is strictly up to the interpretation of the, of the official. You know, there's no definition of that. And I don't know how you define it anyway. I don't know how you would define it. I think it is a completely subjective thing. And some things in officiating just will be subjective. They will always be subjective. I mean, I get it. Like, I mean, I, I don't think anybody was catching that ball, but but to rule it un, uncatchable is a. I, I think they usually use a pretty high bar for ruling a, a, a 
pass uncatchable. I'm not saying it's catchable. I'm just saying they don't typically apply that unless it's clearly and obviously uncatchable in real time. And, and for them, it's, I get it. It can be tough. I don't know. I don't like the call. I don't like the call. And I wouldn't have thrown that flag. But I also understand why it was called. But I, I'm just saying, I, I, I get it. You talked about the contact. I saw it, too. Again, I wouldn't throw the flag in that situation. That's why I have the issue is more so okay, let them play a little bit in that situation and, and don't decide the game. Here's the one thing, and Stephen Holder joins us, that you readily, if ever, see. And I, I revert back to the Giants and Bills earlier this season. Um, the back-to-back flags – down the stretch in that situation on the same guy. Normally, if you get flagged like Daryl Baker Jr. did on the illegal contact, you can basically get somebody in a headlock and the flag doesn't come right after right. that. I mean, the immediate play. That's maybe what shocked me more than anything else. It's and That's why I said earlier, I don't know this to be true, obviously. He doesn't play very much. He hasn't played in a while. But it seems like certainly when he enters the game that he's immediate a target um and it looked like yesterday he was almost the target of of the officials and again this is just me watching i rarely if ever see that but i was shocked that a second flag flew the play after on the same guy where oftentimes as we saw in that bills giants game earlier this year you can manhandle somebody in the end zone and they won't throw that flag immediately after the play in which they threw one yeah, and that goes back to what I was saying, you know, in time and place. You know, I think in the second quarter, maybe they're they're more willing generally to throw a flag in that situation. In the fourth quarter, and literally the final minute of the game, I just think they're they're less inclined to throw those flags. Generally speaking, that was not the case here. And now, <laughs> Daryl Baker definitely got targeted by the Browns. Okay, that is true. <laughs> and and look, this is not rocket science. No. Um, when the starting corner goes down, all right, any good coach worth his salt is, is in the quarterback's headset. All right, we got a backup over there on the right side. I mean, right? That's the first thing you should do. It's the first thing you should tell your quarterback is go get him. You know? I mean, he's, he's backup for a reason. <laughs> he's on the bench. And now he's got to play in the most critical part of the game. So that's just a reality. I mean, you know, here we go. I'm not to change the subject. He was living a nightmare, by the way. He was living a a night, absolute nightmare. Oh, for sure. I mean, his season has been a nightmare. I mean, I, I, I do feel for him. I mean, he starts off the season in the starting lineup. He immediately gets benched after one week. Then he's called upon in the most, in the most difficult circumstance to go out there in a tight game, an emotional game in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's it is a tough assignment, man. I'm not going to lie. That's that's tough. I feel for the kid, but but that's the job, man. Playing corner sucks. Okay, it sucks, and it sometimes under those circumstances it sucks even more. And so I don't know, man. I, I don't have anything. I don't have any consolation for him. <laughs> Yeah, I just say just somebody give him a hug. It's going to be a long week for him. I thought Shane Steichen, Stephen, had a great offensive game plan and a great offensive game call. I thought that what he brought offensively most of the time yesterday completely took Jim Swartz 
And that Browns defense that had been so good so far this season completely took them by surprise. I think you saw that often out there yesterday. Now, a lot of people want to blame the game management. And there's no doubt before the half, uh, that was problematic, to say the least. However, (laughs) I I don't know if I view that as much as game management as I do that Shane Steichen – he is a young coach in the moment that believes he's the smartest guy out there doing what he is doing and is outsmarting and trying to outfox. That, much like game management, I think something that is learned in a successful capacity for a young coach like that. I saw more of that than I did just a, a lack a lack of game management. He seriously thought he could get over on that situation and didn't. And I just think that that is, he's trying to outthink the room in those situations. And thus, that's what we saw as we entered the half. That's at least what I saw. Well, okay. That's fair. I I see, I see it a little differently. I also took issue with it, but for maybe for a little bit different reason, I see it in this regard. And one thing, if you talk to players in that locker room, the one thing they always tell you about Shane Steichen is that, I mean, I don't know anything about Shane Steichen, the guy, right? He's all ball is what everybody says. Like, I don't know if he has any personality outside of football, but I do know what they will tell you is that he wants to compete and he wants to go out there and gut the other team, you know, just in a, in a competitive way. And so that drives him and that's great. I think though, I wonder at least, if maybe that competitive side of him maybe got the best of him in those two situations, you don't have to try a 60 yard field goal uh, at the end of a half when it wasn't actually the end of the half, to be honest, that that's the problem. You don't have to try a 60 yard field goal there in a tight game where, I mean, as, as I tweeted, look, 60 yard field goals are rare for a reason. <laughs> okay. People don't make 60-yard field goals very often. I am not saying Matt Gay can't make one. Of course he can, but he didn't need that there because the risk versus reward, I just thought it was, I don't know, I just thought it was unnecessary. You're giving them a short field if you miss, and it was worse than a miss. They get the block. They get great field position. They score there. And then when you're backed up in the final moments of the half with Gardner Minshew, who has shown that he cannot protect the football, why? Why? I mean, you know, just why ask him to have a deep drop in that situation? He was already in that situation yeah. previously in the season, and he screwed that up. Yep. And they're not knocking Gardner. I mean, Gardner has, has done a lot of heavy lifting this season. His credit. For all the criticisms, the guy has, has bailed him out at times this year. So I'm giving him his due. However, you also have to understand who he is and what you're asking him to do in a particular situation. It's just situational football for me. I thought it was bad situational football and, and, and not recognizing what your personnel was. Backup right tackle, backup quarterback, Miles Garrett, superhuman. <laughs> well, I, I, and I would ag- agree with that, too. I think the thing that stands out is, as you mentioned, understanding your personnel, because we have seen Gardner Menchu go back to the Baltimore game. Kyle Hamilton was in his line of sight every time and still got there. So his his pocket awareness, his collapsing yeah. pocket awareness is not, not great. And then I don't know what, what Freeland and, and Ogletree were actually doing there with, with Miles Garrett. I think they were both supposed to block, and I think Freeland got a hand on him, and that was about it. So yeah, knowing that your personnel in that, that situation yeah. is, is something he did not do yesterday. 
that was definitely a who's on first situation <laughs> over there uh, in that attempted block of, of Miles Garrett. I mean, I was like, I got it. I got it. You got it. Right. And so I don't know what that was, but, but see, you have to sometimes in a situation like that, maybe this is not the way coaches think, but it's the way I think in a situation like that, where, where your tail is on the line and you're, you're having to drop back in the end zone, you got to think worst case scenario. It's close game, right? You're playing fine. You know, just let let this, you know, get to the second half. They get the ball, by the way, coming out in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm thinking all of those things in my head. And so what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is you get sacked in the end zone and you fumble and they score a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> and what is the best case scenario? What's the best case scenario? Are you driving 90 yards? Is that what you're telling me? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand it. I I don't know. I'm not saying – I don't want to, like, overemphasize, you know, what happened there. But, I mean, it was a 10-point swing in a one-point game. I don't think we can – overstate how big of a deal that was Stephen holder of espn.com joins us was um that illegal i'm assuming the illegal contact that play that that i obviously dispute there was was that illegal contact did that happen before you know the ball was um loose i guess here i assume Uh, it did right did anybody ever ask any questions i I did not see them both together and nobody ever mentioned it so i was just kind of curious I, I don't know if I can answer that question for sure. I mean, we'd almost need like side by side video yeah. to to determine it. Can they not but do I, that? But I also, well, I was going to say one one last thing. What I was going to say is, I, I don't think, I don't know that it it necessarily. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I was going to say it didn't matter, but I don't think that's true. I think I guess it does technically matter. It had to happen like, first, or they, they. I mean, yeah. you would review it right anyway. But I don't know if you can review that because it, it right. gets into reviewing penalties. Well, you would re- you would review the turnover for sure, but yeah. that's more for for possession right. and things right. like that. You know what I mean? Right. Once you've called that penalty, the penalty is the penalty. You know, I mean, there there are some situations where where they can't pick the flag up on replay, but it's got to be something like, you know, it's got to be a really specific thing that involves possession and things like that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they apply, how they, how they work the replay into that situation. I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know what they are allowed to review when it comes to something like that. That's a very super, super yeah. technical situation. And I don't know. It's a very good question. I just don't know. I, I just, there's, I would love to see this sometimes. Yeah. You get, into these realms where it's just not an easy answer. And it's like, it's not clear cut in the rule book either. Yeah. And I was, I just brought it up because I would love to see a side by side and to see yeah. when, when each would take place. Cause I don't know if it was brought up, but I don't know. I thought about it yeah. and it doesn't matter now, but uh, I was just kind of curious because I know that I know Steichen said earlier today that they were going to make a case through the the official channels, and I, I'm for one. I hate what the NBA does in their you know, overwhelming mm-hmm. path to transparency. You know, they say the next day, "Hey, we screwed up on this and cost you the game." I, I don't really want to have to see that, but I it would be curious. No, it doesn't. I, I would, I would want to see. And, and the other aspect about this is you, you think it would be more clear-cut, Stephen, in terms of there is so much stinking money riding on this now, and and we know yeah. it, and it seems like that everything would be a little bit 
clear. And, you know, people make the argument that the officials aren't full-time and, you know, they should be. There is a lot of money riding on this, and, and people probably more than me would like to know what really went down as opposed to maybe going through blind and, and it being a mystery for the rest of your life. You know, I, I would say I I kind of sort of sympathize with the NFL on some on some level in this regard. You talked about the NBA and the transparency. If you do that, you're going to have tons of blowback. If you do what the NFL does, you're going to have tons of blowback where there there's seemingly a lack of transparency. There's really no good outcome for you. <laughs> I mean, you're still having to have human beings make judgment calls against the you know on the best athletes in the world that is super imperfect like unbelievably imperfect you know and and i don't know what the solution to that is uh certainly we have replay and we should use replay to the fullest extent however i'm not really in favor of reviewing penalties i'm just not i I think i just think it, it undermines the officials a little too much and and i just think it it makes the game and first of all if you do that I mean, what penalty are you challenging? You know, because frankly, are they going to, you know, what, what's the, what's the bar going to be to overturn it even, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's going to be tough because a lot of these penalties are judgment calls anyway. So now are you going to have clear and visual evidence that something didn't happen? How often are you going to get that? You know what I'm saying? You may in some cases, but I think penalties are a judgment call, so now you're you're going to litigate them by replay. I think that gets really difficult, and and when to challenge that and not challenge it, I don't know. That's really tough. I mean, I can say, okay, that ball touched the ground or it didn't touch the ground. Generally speaking, you know, if on a catch rule or something like that, those things can be arbit can be can be arbitrary, not arbitrary. Those things are not arbitrary, you know, generally speaking. Although the truth is, we don't know what a catch is. But you understand my point. Yeah, no, no, I get what you're talking about. And <laughs> yeah. before I, I dragged you in to the swamp <laughs> where I live, um, <laughs> I, I, I should have probably suggested that really if you could just stop a guy that wouldn't win the football toss at the county fair on that final drive <laughs> a couple of times, that that yeah. probably would have worked as well. And, and this has been my point, and maybe it's BS because a lot of them are, but I wanted to see – Every single time, Gus Bradley bring a blitz. And I know what that mm-hmm. does is it opens everybody else in the secondary up, but you know what? They were opened up anyway. Didn't matter. It was exactly like the Rams game where we want to protect ourselves from getting beat down the field, but you got your ass whipped down the field anyway, even when you didn't bring it, even when you played it safe. And I know maybe you didn't feel because it was P.J. Walker you needed to do that, but Steven, every single time they brought the blitz, they had seemingly a positive result. I thought it was every single time in that final drive. I don't disagree with you. And and here's the here's the thing that, that maybe makes it even a little more worse is that when they have brought pressure this year, at least it feels like, and I have to run the numbers on this, but I, my sense is that they have had some success. Yeah. It gets there. You know? Yeah. And, and Kenny Moore had a sack yesterday, I think a sack and a half, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's a great example. You know, when Kenny Moore blitzes, Kenny Moore makes a play and I know that there were lots of people who hated Matt Eberflus's scheme too, but the one thing 
that he did do eventually was evolve with the pressure and he didn't bring enough pressure either. Okay. But, but he, when he did bring pressure, he allowed guys like Kenny Moore and sometimes the safeties to bring that pressure. And, and it, it was very successful at times. I, I think he and, and Gus Bradley are probably in the same boat in terms of frequency. They're both on the very, very uh, low end of the, of the spectrum when it comes to the frequency of, of five man rushes or more, but I, I think they have the guys to do it. And the other thing that I think it brings to mind is the fact that the, the Colts need, they need somebody who can win one-on-one consistently. I mean, you're not going to find a Miles Garrett growing on a tree. I get that. But I'm just saying, look at the impact that these types of guys have on these games. I don't know how you go get a guy like that. I'm just saying, that's what the Colts have been missing, frankly, since, I mean, Who's the last guy they had that had that kind of impact on the game? I mean, it's Robert Mathis, maybe, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's just been too long. And and I think that has held this team back for quite some time. You know, the guy who can just in a in a moment when you need a defensive guy to just do something to to, to an elite player to do an elite thing. They need that. Sometimes you just gotta have that. And and they haven't had that edge rusher who you can consistently, in a, in a moment of need, you can count on him to get home. And, and that's, that can kill you, man. And it has killed the Colts at times. Stephen Holder's with us. One final thing before I let you go, and I'm sure you love the fact I'm taking you down the old penalty flag throwing path here. My apologies. But I did want to end with this. On that field goal block by Miles Garrett, had when he jumped, um, either in this case, Nelson or Ryman, you know, raised up, and they're blocking and been been touched or he made contact with them, would that have brought a flag? Good question. Um, I, I, if I understand correctly, you, you can do it as long as you don't use the offensive player for leverage. I think that is what it boils down to. Um, jumping over a guy in and of itself, I, I don't believe it's a penalty. I, I think – if no, yeah, jumping well, over I is not. I just didn't know yeah. if you can make contact where they yeah. would deem that using, you know, that particular player to to propel. Right, right. I mean, he cleared it. I mean, he it did. was he cleared him completely, so I, it never yeah. came into play. I, I don't, don't think Nelson that. or Ryman got out of the stance, the 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 bit over stance by the time he was over. I really think they just kind of you know treated it like a routine play, and I'm not saying that most guys wouldn't, you know. Um, because you're not expecting a guy to even attempt something like that. So, I don't know. I guess it's on tape now, so teams will be looking for it. But <laughs> unfortunately for the Colts, uh, they they had to be the uh, the culprit or the, uh, the the victim there. I don't know, man. That's just yeah. – Miles Garrett is not human. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, well, well, and also on tape is now watching Gardner Minshew uh, run off of an RPO situation, too. Well, his own rate hey, run option I, right there. I loved that, by the way. I, I did, too. I, I didn't think Cleveland was ready for it at all. I didn't think defensively – they had even thought about that as a consideration. They did it a couple times. Well, he scored on two runs. Now, one was – go back and look at it. Was one a draw or was it more RPO? I can't remember. But, but definitely, I mean, that – listen, I will say this. Gardner Minshew carries out the fakes all the time on these RPO plays. And I'm like, dude, you're never running the ball. This is stupid. Why are you – I admire it to some degree. But watch him. Like, he, I've said this before on, on this station. Like, he always carries out these fakes. And I, I always laugh because, you know, the, 
the camera's following the ball, but, you know, when you're at the game, you can kind of see everything. And I, I always laugh at it. I'm like, look at this guy running, you know, carrying out the boot like, like somebody's actually going to believe he's going to keep the ball ever. And then they did it. And I was like, oh, well, silly me. <laughs> so I loved it. I loved it. I also think in closing here that Jonathan Taylor is ripe along with his head coach calling the plays to have a tremendous game on Sunday. I think he's ripe. Yeah. Listen, I thought at the end of that game, Shane was a little too balanced with the running backs. I would have fed Jonathan Taylor because they were going back and forth throughout the game. In fact, I think they had the exact same number of touches, Zach Moss and, and Jonathan Taylor. I thought toward the end there, when they went back to Moss, look, we have all seen when like Jonathan Taylor is starting to get primed and ready to go and, and ready to hit a big one. And I thought he was there. I thought he was on the verge. And then they went back to Moss and I was like, ah, I love Zach Moss, but man, I don't know. I thought that was a missed opportunity. Um, well, I, I think he's right. Vintage, yeah, yeah, I saw some vintage Jonathan Taylor there. I, it's it's coming. I think it's coming. Well, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Again, I, I dragged you down the path of losing the okay. game by officials. So good job out of me. Hey, this, there was a lot there, man. That, <laughs> that, that was, I tell you, man, that game, I went down to the press conference. Sorry to hold you up, but I went down That's to the good. press conference and I was like, I don't even know what the first question is. There were so many plays, I can't even remember them. So it was a weird game, man. A lot happened. Appreciate you, man. We'll see you again on Sunday. Okay, talk soon.